This episode of the No Film School podcast was brought to you by Elements, human-centered media storage. Check them out at elements.tv, the new centerpiece of your facility, which is so much more than just storage. Hey everyone, this is George Edelman, Editor-in-Chief at No Film School. And today I have an interview that I'm really excited to share with everyone. I feel like I say that a lot, but this time it's for a pretty unique reason. Earlier this year at Sundance, back when we could go to things like Sundance, there was a movie that sort of captured attention at the festival. And it sold for a record number. And the movie, if you haven't guessed it, was Palm Springs. Palm Springs was set for theatrical release, but ended up on a streaming release because of the global pandemic that turned the world upside down. And we only just recently connected with director Max Barbacow and writer Andy Ciara. And Palm Springs is a lot of things we like to champion. It's a smaller film. It came through the festival world. It was made by first-time filmmakers, sort of. Um, And... It sort of conquered uh, in a time when films of this scale that are of original kind of high concepty things don't always break through. But it cut through the noise. It got everyone's attention, both at Sundance and then later when it hit streaming. And, uh, you know, the, the concept behind it is amazing. It's like one of these time loop things. If you haven't seen it, no spoiler alerts. The execution is great. But it's really fun to talk to filmmakers as humble, but as dedicated to their vision as Andy and Max were. And I think what I want to highlight, and and in the outro, I'll talk a little bit about this again. So stay tuned, because at the end, I have some other things I'll share. But what what I want people to highlight here is that these guys basically just kept winning the lottery, right? It's very hard to get an original script seen by people in this industry and for them to put money behind it and for a star like Andy Samberg to be attached. It's very hard even then to you know make it through your production, one that was as quick and intense as theirs, get it in the can and, and have a good, like solid finished product that everybody's really happy with. And then again, it's really hard to like get into Sundance. That's even when you have Andy Samberg, they did that. It's really hard to sell your movie at Sundance, even if you're there. <laughs> and they did that. Not only did they do it, they did it for a lot. And then on top of all that, it's really hard to get like a big release and for your release to even cut through the noise, like I said. And they did that. So one thing after another just worked out. And to talk to these guys about how that felt and what their approach was and how they stayed in the moment, it's just, it's great. Um, and I, I hope people get a lot out of it in terms of what their their dedication to their version of this story is what made it work. And we've talked to other filmmakers like that. Peanut Butter Falcon comes to mind. But Andy and Max are different and their story is different and their method was different. And I uh, think there's a lot to get from it. So I hope you enjoy it. Thanks so much, Andy and Max, for being here today on the No Film School podcast. Uh, 
Thank you, you are the writer and director behind, uh, respectively, behind Palm Springs, the movie that we talk about so much at No Film School, not just because we like it, because <laughs> uh, we, were, we remember at Sundance earlier this year. Do you guys remember back when people could be near each other? Yes, uh, very clearly I remember that. And uh, yeah, it was a big it was a big event for you guys. It was huge. You were the the big movie to come out of it, and the number was was funny because it was sixty nine cents. We wrote about that a lot. <laughs> um, maybe you guys can offer some insight if that was uh, if that was intentional. Uh, and then we also, you know, we followed and tracked the release, and we were really excited to see people respond to it and it do well. And it's just been kind of an exciting. You know, the movie's great, but also like what's happened to it for like the filmmaker community has been really cool. So uh, we're thrilled to have you both here. Thank you for, for having us. I'm a big fan of the sites and, and all the sites stands for in this mad, yes. mad world. <laughs> Agreed. Agreed. <laughs> um, so let me just start by asking you guys before we get into the recent events that I summarized, like. How how did you where did the movie start? Where did the idea come from, Andy? And where did you guys start working together on it? And we'll go through how it came to exist. Yeah. And then we'll talk about the insanity of 2020. <laughs> oh, this year. Um, where did it begin? Uh, I mean, from the from the get go, Max and I were uh, working on this together. Um, we we met. On, the, on our first day at AFI, uh, first or second day at AFI back in 2013, and just hit it off immediately over like, you know, bands that we love, kind of a shared outlook on life, and then just our general taste in film and TV and the kind of stuff that makes us laugh and cry. And so uh, right after, you know, we hit it off that first time we met, we, we made a, a short together at AFI, and we made our thesis film together. And then right when we were finishing up uh, in 2015, we're like, let's, let's do our first movie together. Uh, some, something that we can do on like a, on a tiny, tiny budget. Um, and so he, it was like the week after we graduated, he and I went out to Palm Springs and had our, our kind of lost weekend. It was a, a very PG lost weekend. <laughs> I, I, I can't, I can't do hard drugs. Um, but, uh, but yeah, we, like, out of that weekend, we, we, realized we wanted to set this in Palm Springs, ideally like one location. Um, Cause you know, that's manageable. And we had like the, the seeds of this character of Niles and, and this, and his kind of outlook on life. Um, and over the next you know, two years or so, um, he and Max and I were both busy on various projects. Uh, and I was, I was working on this show Lodge 49 at the time. So I, we, I put the script away and then, I, he and I would come back to it. We'd, we'd get into a room and just, just talk about it, talk about life, talk about, uh, you know, the stuff that makes us laugh and cry. Uh, and, <laughs> and also like what both of both he and I were going through at the time, like I got married in, in 2015 and we were both going to a, a ton of weddings. So then it kind of just became like, Oh, this makes sense. We should, we should do a wedding movie here. And it kind of just like, there's not a nice profound or poetic way to sum it up other than, uh, the story evolved a lot from that first meeting, uh, brainstorming Mai Tai sesh in, in Palm Springs to when we landed on uh, making it a time loop movie and a wedding and then to the script 
that was sent out uh, that got into the hands of Lonely Island. Like it, it was it was a long, weird, not very clear or direct road to that point. Um, maybe 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 it's clear in Max's mind. Uh, again, I'm, I'm running on very little sleep. No, no, please, no, sleep, it's all, sleep it's all interesting. I have tons of follow-ups. I want to know more about a lot of things. But Max, do you have anything to interject to that? Um, no, I mean it was it was like a winding, very indirect road to getting it made. But I will say, like I guess the one through line was just the kind of the desire to rediscover our impulses, at least on my end, like directorially and filmmaking wise after film school, like like a, two very long years of just churning out stuff in a very preconceived kind of quote professional unquote way. Um, and, that, and, and that's, I think where you get a lot of the, the tonal shifts and kind of the bizarre energy in the movie. And then just the, another consistency was just the, um, the desire to get something made, you know, I think there were, was a very long and an unwieldy process like Andy was describing, but in my mind, it was just never an option not to try to make something out of this idea, which continued to evolve. It felt felt very urgent to us. My first question about the idea is um, what was the seed that happened with not, so you mentioned that this character came to mind, but I'm curious specifically like, when was the time loop decision made and how did you guys come to that? That's a very like unique subgenre, and you know, there's some really important entries into it, obviously. And now you're one of the few, um, <laughs> but what, um, I mean, Groundhog Day is just like an amazing movie. Like I think one of the best, mm-hmm. like it's yeah. perfect. For sure. Um, and, and it's, and uh, I, so I'm curious where the idea of utilizing the device like landed with you guys. Like you had this idea, it sounds like weddings, Palm Springs is a setting, something you could do and this character, but then where did the time loop and that like fi- factor in? Um, yeah, <laughs> my memory is, is very fuzzy. I have a very poor concept of time, but but yeah. That's yeah. a good answer actually. <laughs> Which figures into Niles not, you know, remembering his life. <laughs> yeah, and, yeah. Uh, where he comes from and who he is. Uh, yeah, part, that's, that's part of why. That's part of why I, that's in there because like I don't can't remember my own life. Uh, I, I I think that it was either like the top of 2016 or the very end of 2016 um, that we settled on the time loop. I remember when we did, Ma- I think I think when we did was Max and I were, Max was over at my place and we were just talking about the story because I think by that point, like a version of the script had, we like we had started a version of it that uh, involved Niles, this character, going out to um, Palm Springs to essentially feel something, uh, but maybe perhaps end his life. Uh, but it, it, that version was almost like the um, the montage just spread out over an entire movie, um, which there's that's you can't really do that. Um, we learned, uh, <laughs> and and so then like. I, I, again, I, I can't remember exactly when it came up, but I I know that when he and I we had, we, we watched Groundhog Day, and it started fall. It started like the script started going into a more I don't know, not I don't want to say full on sci fi or supernatural realm, but I remember the cave came up at some point early on, and he and I just looked at each other as like, do we just do we do the time loop thing? And and uh, to 
two smarter uh, people would say, no, no, de- de- definitely, definitely don't uh, don't try to do you know what's one of the most beloved comedies of all time did. Uh, but because Max and I are not the two smarter people, we're like, okay, yeah, sure, let's let's try it, and uh, and we tried it then, um, and it worked though. That's the crazy part. Yeah, <laughs> I think it also like it it uh, it worked out. We had, we had the character kind of broken Niles, and we're starting to figure out who Sarah was. But definitely, when it came to Niles, it felt just like a a good way to stick that dude in a version of hell his own personal hell having to sit with himself um, and and deal with his his commitment issues and his vulnerabilities or you know his his lack of um, expressing his vulnerabilities at you know at a at a very cliche wedding day after day after day. So it made sense kind of thematically on the character level and it also was just as Andy said was kind of a fun thing to play with. Uh, for a what would, was going to be a first feature for both of us. Yeah, I think it just touches on something that feels kind of universal. Uh, yeah, which is like you keep going. It feels like you keep going to the same weddings over and over again. You know, like yeah, for I, everybody who's been at that age, like you mentioned, like I got married, I've been to a bunch of weddings. Like everybody's been through this like cycle of like how many of these have I heard? How many of this have I done? You know. Yeah, and you know, to, and to be honest, like. Well, just as you get older, life starts slowing down and becoming a little more repetitive. Uh, and after, and it's not not a bad it's not a bad thing. But like after you, you know, you're you get into a job or a marriage or relationship, every day does start to feel very similar. And so there is a combination of that that I think both Max and I were feeling throughout that year, as well as, I mean, the <laughs> after after november 8th 2016 uh, <laughs> from from the next day on it kind of felt like we were just every every day i wake up ch- check uh refresh the news to see uh what new thing dropped um what like you're kind of just you're you're always waiting for something to happen and i still it think i'm really still, that that nightmare has really accelerated lately hasn't totally it? yeah and, and we're still <laughs> we're still feeling that like you're just waiting for you're in this ever-present state of waiting for something to happen and and getting trapped in that kind of 24-hour news cycle where again every day kind of feels like a version of the, the last day and so that definitely played into it um like i i think i mean i i don't i don't wasn't like we did it we were making a commentary on it at the time, but I think that's just how both Max and I felt during that time in hindsight now, like we can look at it like that. Um, and I would say, and the other ask, the other kind of key part of it all is that I think he and I, no, no one gave a shit about us um, after, after we finished AFI and we both knew like, oh, let's just, this might be the only movie we ever going to make. So let's like, let's, let's put everything in here that we want to see in a movie. Uh, and it turns out a lot of the stuff we want to see is just some, some of this is not possible in a, in a normal world that's defined by the laws of physics and, uh, and life and death that uh, our, our world is defined by. So therefore in a world where <laughs> life is meaningless, uh, death doesn't matter. You can do so many more cool things. Yes. And, and I think that was a part of it as well. Like we can, we can wear, then we were able to put in all these things we want to see in a movie from a, an elaborate dance sequence to, um, 
crashing that airplane to dinosaurs. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah, I want to get to the part you mentioned something that I that I think will take us into the next section here that I want to talk about. Uh, nobody cared about you guys. You said when you got out of film school, and that's a, a familiar refrain, right? Because a lot of filmmakers hit that point when they're kind of like, okay. There's a lot of us out there trying to do this. Nobody cares what we're going to do. We may not ever get more than one thing made. We may have to make it ourselves. Like you've, you've echoed a lot of these sentiments. We hear them, see them throughout our community. Like, so what did you guys have reps? Did you have a manager and agent? Did you have this script? Did the first version of the script, like, was it something you could do for under a hundred thousand dollars? Were you like planning for that? How did it take me from like, Hey, we have a draft we love to it's in the hands of the lonely Island guys. Well, uh, first I'll say in case my parents are listening to this, my, our, our parents did care about us. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it, it wasn't that nobody cared. No one in the industry really cared that much. That, yes. Understood. Yes. Um, My parents were still asking if I, you know, would consider law school or medical school or a different <laughs> profession. You know, I feel like are they still Sundance. asking now? Because I mean, I've known My mom sporadically will yeah. ask still. Yeah, <laughs> shows on air for years, and their parents are like, "When are you going to do something normal or get a real job?" <laughs> exactly. In between gigs, those questions come up <laughs> throughout that that two year, three year process of of writing it when it was just me and Max involved in this thing um we it, it went from being we were aiming for like a, you know a fifty thousand dollar movie to uh much much more than that again based on like where our tastes lie and i think we we may have intended this initially to be uh you know a smaller movie but then oh god so by the time draft one was done a hundred thousand dollars was out the window yeah and <laughs> uh and it just got a lot bigger it's still a small small movie but it was just like that's that's a harder thing to get anyone to, you know. Yes. It's give some money toward um, for like you know, first time filmmakers. Um, luckily, during this time, um, I got hooked up with a manager uh, at LBI, and when and I had pretty much followed the the trajectory from that point on, where once our two person team of just Max and myself added that third wheel i guess we are able to 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 move forward on on our little tricycle uh so you guys you you got repped by manager um and that brought you and that manager took the script out for you this yeah. script yes and, and the first script they took out for you yeah like he wow. had he, he had read a couple other like I, this was what uh he you know quote unquote signed me off of um, this was at the end of 2017, I think. Yeah. And then it was the next month. Uh, <laughs> it was actually a nice refreshing moment. Oh, and he, he had read some other scripts of mine. He's like, yeah, we'll just, we'll just focus on Palm Springs. <laughs> um, and then, uh, but I think that's what I needed to hear. I think that's actually the sign of a good manager that who knows exactly what to do with one, with a particular script. And so he sent it around and he's like, this is, here's this new script. Uh, by this guy Andy and Max Barbacow is attached to direct, um, and I, I I don't know how that rep that agent manager world uh, I, don't, I don't understand like the the those 
backroom phone calls and all that kind of stuff. So I, I, he, he sent it around. I don't know how widely he sent it around, but I do know it got to um, this, this agent, Houston at UTA, who then passed it up to um, the Lonely Islands agent and they passed it along to Andy. And then that was, that was within like two, two months maybe or so that all that happened. Wow. It was like, so really it was like the, uh, it was like, uh, lightning struck, right? Yeah. It was, we got super lucky. Yeah. Very, very, very lucky. He's attached to direct. So you're taking, he was, your manager was taking the script out that you'd written and Max was attached to direct and Max, what was on your resume at that time? Like, I mean, for Phil, you know, I'm trying to frame this just so you guys understand, like, Framing it for people listening, for filmmakers who are like, how does it happen? How did you guys like suddenly make this movie with, you know, mm-hmm. at this scale and this happens? So I want to sort of like help peel back the layers a little bit. Like, so Max, you had a reel or did you have, did anybody at any point say like, why is he directing it or what? Oh, I'm sure. It? Yeah. Like every, every step of the way, for sure. Right. And how'd you um, guys like that and stuff? Like what was it? it? Tell me about and, it. Andy was the best and insistent that like, this was our thing and that, our version of the movie together and me directing it would be kind of the, the best version of it, you know, cause there's a, there's a different version of this. Say if you go and take it to a studio, that's probably a little more um, diluted and antiseptic and not as specific and weird. Right. And not as blended mm-hmm. tonally. Um, but not as, not as yeah, good. I mean, who, yeah, who, who knows? <laughs> it's, you know, because on, on paper too, it's, it's a time loop you know, wedding comedy, which there's a dime a dozen even of those, like within a subgenre, yeah. I think. So sure. it's a little bit of an eye roll when you pitch it. So I had done stuff at AFI. Andy and I did a thesis together at AFI that played Tribeca and and won awards at like Hamptons and the Right to Vic Film Festival and and um, was on like a, on the BAFTA shortlist and like had done well, but it wasn't really a tonal comp. It just was a weird little short and I, you know, I'm just as a filmmaker, I kind of, I do like to jump around. So there wasn't like a a, a clear sample or a proof of concept for Palm Springs. So it really took um, Andy sticking by me and then Andy's manager kind of once I made a, uh, I made like kind of a, an image bundle, a lookbook and a sizzle reel that kind of like was the first step of bringing that world off the page. And I I will say a lot of, I think why the script was a, was appealing too was a lot of work um a lot of directorial or just like stylistic work had gone onto the page as well because we lived with it for so long so i think it kind of read very closely to like what the movie feels like um just in terms of transitions and i don't know the the rhythm of the thing the sequences Um, what was your lookbook and sizzle like did you go out and shoot some stuff um, I shot, I did shoot some stuff, but I didn't even end up using it. It was just like a lot of stock footage from, you know, everything from the great beauty to, you know, like wrist cutters, a love story to Ingrid goes West to tree of life, yeah. you know, yeah, it was there's like been so a, many versions of these that have gone around, but they, if they can demonstrate like tone and the ability to understand, bring yeah. forward visually what the story is, I think they're, they're pretty effective. It's it's actually kind of funny because I my dad was asking me a similar question the other day and I mentioned the sizzle reel and he he had, he never saw it and then I sh- I showed it to him and Amanda my wife and right when right when we finished right when the right when it finished playing uh, Amanda's like wow that actually like it 
pretty much captures like what the movie became. And then my dad's like, that feels nothing like it. It's, that feels <laughs> like, I thought, I thought the movie's a comedy. And, uh, and, and cause, cause the, the fizzle reel is like, it's, it definitely, you know, you, you can, you can tell where our references are for this movie where a lot more, I mean, like, like Max said, great beauty was in there. Force, force majeure was in there. Um, but then, you know, there's a, like a sideways clip in there too. Um, it's, it's kind of all over the place, but I, 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 think thought, it, I thought it was great though. I thought it actually like kind of captured it, it captured it perfectly. Um, and it made it captured what, what only Max could understand about the version of the story, right? The version you guys are going to bring to life. Yeah, and I yeah. think it, it complemented what was on the page, which was what made it interesting, right? It was a different way, or I wouldn't say different, but very specific way of looking at the material that gave it a little more depth and made it, hopefully would make it special to somebody, and that somebody was, you know, Andy Sandberg and, 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 and Akiva. No, seriously, yeah, it's, because like, so that that stuff exists, and then... A, a, you know, like a, like a deck and a, and a scissor reel and, and the script was written, which I think helped a lot. And it just, you know, you, you get a meeting with the, with the lonely Island and you just, you know, you go in thinking like, there's no way this will ever happen. So who cares? Let's just, like you know, there's no way that I will be able to like direct this movie on this level with, you know, just, it, it's, a, it's a big jump. I could totally see it from their perspective and you go in and, and you have a conversation and it just was kind of elaborating on the sizzle you know, giving more, more references. The whole conversation was kind of about this could be um, for somebody like Sandberg, like his version, though our movie has more comedy in it of a punch drunk love or eternal sunshine. And that we're taking a persona, a comedic persona and zagging on the expectation um, that he comes in with and doing something a little more driven by pathos and sadness um, and damage and loneliness. Um, and then, you know, something more aligned with kind of like the half hour series, just in the tonal shifts, because Andy and I also fell in love at AFI over Eastbound and Down, which is a show that makes you laugh and cry and also has like very toxic characters um, and is kind of unclassifiable. Um, so, you know, when we started working on the script, it was the, the first season of like Atlanta and Fleabag and Catastrophe was on. So those are all things we kind of talked about and they were seeing the same thing in the story. And I think that's why it was very attractive to Andy, who says no to a lot of stuff, you know, that I know says no to a lot of rom-com stuff too. Um, I, I mean, just hearing you, if, if that's what your pitch was like in the room, I can totally understand why he said yes, because it just sounds like, like what actor like him would not want to do that. Like if it's good on the page and you hear somebody put it that way, you're like, oh yeah, that's a great move for me. And that's yeah. a great project for me. And these guys get it and, the, and I can trust them. Like your confidence in, in the way you talk about it is is palpable. And it was a thing too, I think we got with anybody else, we got super lucky in that I still was not experienced on that level. I made a feature documentary before, but I mean, it was a big jump, you know? Um, I think we got lucky in that we came in together as buddies with our baby and that's who those guys are, you know? They've been working together forever. They grew up together, they're friends. Um, they make stuff together as buddies. So like they were the kind of the perfect match in that way. And, and from, from then on, they, I assume they also went to bat for you. Like he's going to direct this. Like, this Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. 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 I'm sure there were, there were tons of moments along the way that like, who, who is this, you know? And I will right. say too, even within, as it got passed up through UTA, Houston 
Acosta, who now we both, Andy and I both work with there, who was the agent that passed it up to, to Andy's agent, um, to Andy Sandberg's agent. Like yeah. he was very supportive of me uh, attached as a director as well, without even knowing me, you know, he just like, he saw it in some way, thankfully. And so like, so then, you know, flash forward and you guys have a budget and certainly more than $50,000 and you're making the movie and like Andy Samberg's in it. And like, so what is it like to jump into that kind of feature film production? Like, what was that adjustment? Like, how did it feel? Like, how did it go? It, um, it honestly didn't feel much different than like any of the films I made at AFI felt like just in terms of the scope of the set and the number of people around. I think what the biggest adjustment was, was just kind of the, the number of moving parts and the amount, we, the amount of work we had to do in 21 days, you know, we shot the movie in 21 days, which is wow. kind of insane. Yeah. Um, and then just like the cast we had was incredible, you know? So it's making sure that you're, you're putting all these amazing talented people in a position to shine with little time um, and making sure that you can live up to, you know, their, like that level of talent in, in your own Did you ever doubt your ability to do that? (laughs) Oh yeah. Like every day, of course, you know, (laughs) it's like, it's, that's the job, the, like the dirt, like I tried to, it's not really productive energy to, to get into like self-loathing or your self-doubt, you know, like I, I, I was confident in that this weird little project that had started with Andy and myself and then expanded in that room and came to include the lonely Island and then everybody else who showed up on the set, like, you know, people were there for a reason. We knew that they were into it and they liked it. So it wasn't about like, you know, why are they here? Like, you know, do do they like it? Like, is this, is this going to work? It was more, it was more about just like, you know, living up to the promise of of the work that we had already done. And like, I, I think the job of the film director too, is just to always be a cynic and kind of a skeptic and have your, have your, uh, bullshit meter on in a way and try to get you know to be greedy and get as much work um um out of the day as possible so that's that's kind of where the stress came from not necessarily like you know am i doing a good job there wasn't time for that right was there any question of getting it all in in that sense like doing a good job and like are we going to make all the days are we going to get all the coverage i need are we going to like you know max like get the best take or do i need to move on did you feel like 21 days is is pretty tight yeah, no, it was it was insane. You know, we had some crazy days, especially around the time of the wedding, um, and you know, like some eight page days and stuff like that. And that, but that, I think that's the mark of something really ambitious and cool is when you look down the barrel at the day. And you're like, oh, we have all of this to do today, but all of it is like, you can't lose any of it, and all of it's really special and unique and fun um, and and stuff to look forward to. So I will say, we just got got really lucky with the people that we got on the crew, our DPQ and our production designer, Jason, and our, our costume designer, um, Colin, um, across the board, like everybody, again, got what it was, took ownership over it. And like, they, they're the reason that we got all the work. We didn't do any reshoots. You know, we, we, we didn't have to pick anything up and we even got alts and stuff. And that's just because everybody kind of got the tone of the movie and brought ideas to make it even better. And, we did as much work as possible and prepped to kind of have a plan going into each day. Q and I designed the whole movie shot list wise. Um, and that doesn't mean we didn't pivot on the day when better ideas came along, but um, everybody willed it into existence, which is I think what you want. 
Elements Bolt is a groundbreaking storage solution, offering up to 10 times the speed of an SSD-based system. Designed to deliver amazing performance to every department in your facility, from scanning to color grading, editing, VFX, and GFX, Elements Bolt will put an end to stuttering playback, slow copying, or proxy creation for offline editing. This flexible, high-speed storage platform can supercharge any professional post-production environment and even provides native Avid bin locking functionality. Every Elements system is jam-packed with amazing tools and features developed to help with day-to-day post-production tasks. The extremely intuitive user interface is designed with creative people in mind and can easily be used with little to no IT knowledge. Ready to boost your performance? Find out more at elements.tv bolt. I want to track us through the whole story here because we're getting into more recent events. Like, so was Sundance always a, like a goal? Obviously, Sundance is like, you know, the biggest film, just the biggest film festival uh, in the country. What was the um, like, what was the plan? Like you, you wrapped, you finished, like what was the next steps? Like what was the release plan and stuff like that? And, and the festival plan? I, mean, I think from the from that very first meeting we had with Lonely Island um, in April of April of 2018, I think the goal was Sundance, uh, and so filmed in April of 2019, and then after all the post stuff, which Max can talk about, um, we we always knew like we were just the the plan was just to make it to the that deadline for Sundance, wow. and then and then then we see from there, um, and we were just lucky enough to get in to Sundance because it's interesting as a Sundance movie. It's not like a lot of other Sundance movies. So it feels almost like a bold goal to me. Um, yeah. Yeah. Do you, guys see that? do you guys see that as well? I mean, not just because Sundance is Sundance, but because it doesn't feel typical of a Sundance movie to me. Am I wrong about that? I'm just like, I, maybe I'm wrong. That's what my gut though. is like, Oh, South by Southwest. I could see is like the, you know, cause it's kind of comedy. It's a little different. Um, Sundance feels like it's got a different tone, but so I'm, I'm that setting that goal and hitting it is like, that's pretty cool. I mean, for reasons, but like, you know, because it's not, it's not what I would expect when I, when I thought like, Oh, you're going to target Sundance. We had a lot of people say that to us too, as we were like finishing the movie, (laughs) like, you know, it's great. It's good, but it doesn't really quite feel like a Sundance movie. We're like, Great. That's awesome. Thanks. <laughs> well, so I'm Perfect. not wrong. So other people, no, well, no, I, wrong. I, yeah. it was a Sundance movie. So we were yeah. all wrong in that sense. You guys proved us wrong. But I'm just saying on the other hand, like it's, uh, yeah, it is kind of like, uh, I think that's, um, I think that's a cool quality of it. And I remember being at Sundance and being like, this is an interesting movie to have here. Um, because it doesn't fall in line with the usual stuff, which I think maybe shuts us all up about like what we expect, right? Like, oh, it's got, it's a this kind of movie. Like, maybe there aren't, we shouldn't we shouldn't be concerned with those rules so much. Agreed. Yeah, I do. Th- I do think the Sundance kind of changes year to year as well, just in terms of what kind of stuff they're looking for. You know, some years are lighter than others, and and um, some years are driven more by social justice as they should be, or, you know, there's more hard hitting dramas. So I definitely think, um, and there's that baseline that's always there too, that includes all that stuff. But I definitely think it helped us just in terms of the sale and stuff that we were a lighthearted kind of escapist romp movie um, within 
what, what I, like I just know a lot of people went to see it at the festival. And like, oh, that was so nice. That was such a kind of a change of pace and a power yeah. cleanser um, yeah. after a lot of movies that are amazing but a little uh, a little more difficult to digest and sit through, which is you know what I love about that. So I always. Too. Whenever we talk about film festivals and I talk about Sundance and I've interviewed, you know, we've had on this podcast tons of Sundance filmmakers and, and uh, director, program directors and stuff. So it's so hard. You guys like, you know, you win the lottery in a sense to like make a feature that's your feature and then to get it into Sundance, right? That's like a second lottery. But then it's like this third lottery to get a deal, <laughs> right? Yeah. Nowadays when it's like, we even talk about it like it's not like it was in the 90s, you know, like they're not like bidding wars aren't happening in the theater. And like and then there's this other lottery of like once you have a deal, like does the movie break out? Like do does it cut through the noise? Do people see it? Like and that's another one that you guys hit on. But like just getting to Sundance, having it be there. Like we all, those of us who've been to Sundance know there's a lot of movies. You can't see them all. It's like actually impossible, right? Um, so when you were there, was it like nerve wracking, exciting, all the above, but like, what was it like when it, when the deal happened? Tell take me through that. Um, it was all the, the entire thing was very surreal. Uh, I think and this is, this is just goes to like why I'm just, I'm just, I'm so happy that, that Max and I were able to do this together because we got to ex experience Go, we got to go through this whole thing together, and uh, and from like when when we premiered at the library, and like I've talked about this a little before, but um, like what I remember most of probably that whole weekend was sitting in the back two corner seats, me and Max, uh, just as the lights go down, and I got a little emotional. I go, Max got emotional once like the little Sundance trailer comes up because like you know I knew where my parents and my brother and uh and my wife were sitting i knew where you know max's family they were all sitting and all of our cast and crew kind of scattered around and this and like max either either i grabbed max's leg or max grabbed my leg that's i can't remember that totally clear clearly but uh but we just sort of like kind of gripped each other's like re remembering seven years earlier when we first met five years earlier when we started working on this thing together and in 85 minutes, um, <laughs> we wouldn't, we would know if, if people would hate it and, and we should find new careers. <laughs> uh, but so this, this is, it was that last moment, like on the edge, uh, the edge of a cliff before, like, you know, we, we, we see if, um, we see what happens when you, when you jump off <laughs> and, uh, and then the Lonely Island title card came up, uh, Lon uh, Lonely Island classics. And then the theater laughed. And at that point, I was like, okay, at least we're in a, in a, in a good crowd of people who are going to laugh during the movie. I laughed uh, at the title card. <laughs> yeah, b before anything even came well, out. Well, there's a room full of acquisitions people, so that probably <laughs> well, made sense. <laughs> yeah, but I don't know. It, it was, it was, that, that was the moment that I think that, like, you know, it, it, the, the movie was no longer ours. It, like, it, every, every time someone else came on to this whole thing with us, like, I think Max and I, from the very beginning, we always knew this was not our movie. I mean, this was our little baby together. But once you add someone else in there, it's like they have an investment, invested interest in this. We couldn't, the movie couldn't be made without my manager coming on board, and then without Houston coming on board, and then without everyone else that like got it to Andy Samberg, and then when without 
Andy and the Lonely Island and Becky without them coming on board. Like uh, there's so many, so many different people that came on to bring this thing to life, including, you know, our limelight, our financiers, and then the, the, the crew and cast. And so therefore, like, I think we, we already made peace with the movie not being ours. It was like our, as our, the, our collective ours. But then at that point, the movie is like, once you put it out in the world, now it's, it's the world's movie. It's not our movie. It's, it's nobody's movie anymore. Uh, it's simultaneously every, everyone's movie and nobody's movie. And so that, mo- <laughs> that moment of like, of, I guess as rather than us taking that step off the cliff, it's more like pushing the movie off the cliff and then you, you get to see if the movie flies or not. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And it did. It flew. It soared. <laughs> it's amazing. Yeah. yeah. And then as for like, as you know, everything, you know, the, the late night bidding wars and all that kind of stuff, you know, it's, it's what Max and I have both, we both read about uh, and that, that kind of, those things that happen at Sundance. But um, of course, that's never going to happen to our movie. And then it happened and it was just, it was, just, it was just strange. Yeah. I can only imagine. I can only imagine. And then, you know, so Hulu, right? And then was there going to be a theatrical release? So Hulu ends up making the deal. It's the biggest deal. It was, it was Neon, Neon and Hulu together, which okay. was um, part of the, yeah, Neon was going to do a big, or a, an appropriate theatrical release. And that was kind of the, the cool part about that, that deal was the, you know, that, that partnership felt very modern and kind of forward thinking just in that, you know, everything inevitably ends up on a streamer. But if you could get a really cool company like Neon to bring your movie out into the world and make a cultural splash before then, um, you know, you'll, you'll take it. So that, that was the deal, which was super exciting. And then obviously pandemic hit and everything kind of changed. Yeah. It seems like in a story that was marked by like what you guys are describing as like lucky, but, but also a result of your hard work and your talent, of course, like suddenly something insane, like bad luck in a sense happens of like, oh my God, it's a global pandemic. It's the weirdest year of our lives. It's the bizarrest summer of our lifetimes, like in the movie's release. But then maybe it, it, in a way, and I've and we've wondered about this or talked about it, like in a way it flips then, right? Because the movie's available and everybody's looking for things to stream. So I want to know, like, what was that experience like the the world the rug got pulled out from under everyone but how did it impact two guys who just made a feature debut that was slated for theatrical and 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 then still ends up hitting on hulu can you take me through it a little bit i think the smartest thing we kind of both going into sundance because it's just a healthy way to to exist in the world we suspended any expectations whatsoever um for the movie so like yeah, everything, everything was a win. And so when the pandemic happens, it's almost like, of course, you know, because the shoot, the shoot was really hard too. we had, we had weather issues. It was like, you know, there were, um, it was not an, not an easy go of it. So it felt kind of almost appropriate for this, this last obstacle to hit in a way like sickly appropriate. Um, but then to everybody's credit, Hulu, Neon, you know, our producers, it, it was a very quick conversation that turned into a, um, you know, a pivot to try to get the movie out as quick as possible once it became clear that, you know, no one was really planning to go back into movie theaters anytime soon and that there was some some resonance with what our movie was about in terms of two people being forced to sit with their th- themselves 
and their stuff and their emotions and their messiness, like at a time when everybody was trapped, kind of having to go through the same thing. So once, once everybody kind of hopped on board with that, it became really exciting. And once everything started moving out of the summer as well, like any other new release, it kind of became this golden opportunity to give people a little bit of release and escape escapism in a, um, in a really tough time. I can't even like fully contextualize because I've talked to so many filmmakers who had movies at festivals that were going to be released or that like, there's so many question marks or, or maybe they were going to premiere at South by like, which, yeah. Right? Like, I mean, I that know. changes everything. If we're a South by movie or a Tribeca movie, I don't know. None of this happens, which is just kind of insane to think about. And I was like personally on my way, like not literally, but it was like, I was just sending out emails. Like, I don't know if I'm going to end up going or not. And then suddenly it's canceled. And then every film that was going to be there is changing its plan. And so it's just, it's so bizarre. It's such a bizarre year. There's no other word for it, but I I feel so, I feel so lucky. I mean that, yes, there's that, like you said, the hard work part of it, but I think so much of this is, you know, is luck where, yeah, if we didn't get into Sundance, we would have tried for South by. And then like, like Max said, everything would have been, different and i also with that i feel so bad for for knowing how much goes into making a movie how much of yourself you put into this process over many 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 years and then to have that pulled out from under you to all the people that were going to premiere things at south by or tribeca or you know any, any of these that that were happening during the pandemic um yeah, just breaks. It breaks my heart, um, and I. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I can't. I agree. I've, I, I, and and yet, you know, there is something really resilient in something you said, Max. I think uh, of like suspending all expectations. I want to know a little bit more about how to do that. <laughs> I'm sure, I'm sure a lot of people want to know how to do that. I think that's such a great advice. And probably applies to everything, but I—that's—I haven't heard anybody like talk about approaching it that way. But it also seems like kind of a no-brainer, and yet it, it's brilliant. Like, how did how did you do that? Like, <laughs> I think I think it's about you're able to do that when you are at peace, knowing that you have something that you're working on that you care about that feels like worth working on and worth pouring yourself into. Um, and getting lost in the process and finding joy in the process with people that you love and enjoy. So that's part of it is having that foundation, right? And then once you're, once you're able to get lost in that and you know that it, in your own mind at least, like as it aligns with your taste, it deserves to exist <laughs> out in the world, this movie or this thing. It's, I think I heard the Coen brothers talk about this once, but it's just about focusing on the micro and the little decisions, you know, whether it's in the writing of it or the prepping of it or the shooting of it or the cutting of it or, you know, anything, just focus on the little choices um, that it's kind of making, making a movie. I feel like it's kind of like a decision collage, make enough little good choices that you feel are cool or inspired or just serve the material. And then they could add up to something interesting. Um, And it's, you know, that's all it's really, that's all you can control, really. You know, and you can it's put not, aside somehow magically 
you can put aside the things you can't control. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's just not what I, I guess I learned that in the making of this movie is that it's very easy to waste energy on stuff that you can't control anyway, you know? So it's about always being aware of that and allocating your energy into, uh, you know, parts of the process that are productive and serve the, serve the movie that end up on screen. You know, to, to, to add to, to what he's saying, um, I think one of the most important parts of this whole thing is that I, I, I can't emphasize enough the no one gave a shit about us part of it. Yeah. Is that like, I love and, that. And, and we like, Every part of your story. We never, we never, yes, we wanted to make this movie, but like more than anything, you know, I, it was therapeutic every single time Max and I got into a room together uh, to talk about it every single time, like, you know, <laughs> any forms of art or storytelling or whatever, uh, they're at least, I mean, at least for me and at least, and I think for Max, you know, we're working out our own shit. Uh, we're, we're grappling with various existential questions that are, that, are kind of plaguing our, our minds and keeping us up late at night. And, uh, as we are like at various crossroads in our own lives and it's been, especially in that kind of post-grad school depression that, that sets in, um, like what are you supposed to do with the rest of your life? Uh, whenever he and I would come together to talk about this, yes, that'd be cool if the movie actually got made at some point, but I I think, and this again, this might be my own sleep depri- deprivation, uh, new baby brain that is, that is <laughs> going going down this this little tangent. But I think that when he and I would get together to talk about the story, we weren't really talking about making a movie so much as we're just trying to uh, acting as each other's therapists in a way, trying to get to the bottom of of kind of some unanswerable questions and. That was the the subtext of, of our conversations, uh, and then the, the the text was just this talk about like Niles and Sarah and a time loop. Uh, but what he and I were really trying to to I don't know I don't want to say fix something inside of us, but oh, we, totally yeah <laughs> yeah we're, we're trying to work something out that was like the different things that we, he and I were both grappling with and dealing with uh, when it comes to love and commitment and all that. So you're saying and, that underpinning of it was like rooted in in something meaningful and existential that both of you were working out together and that being the core of what it was almost removed you guys a little bit from like the results of the movie itself because you were so committed to like hey we're doing this thing we're creating this thing and we're investing ourselves in it yeah it's like it's like like talking about the story was just a vessel that we used to talk about to the, if he if he if you remove the movie from it all together, he and I would get together and have the conversations that were just more of the subtext and less of the of the text, uh, less of this this goal of making this movie. But it was still like the the discussions of of this movie just served to satisfy this other kind of kind of cr- both creative and life need. Uh, that he and I both had at the time. And so therefore now this is, this is just sounding so stupid and pretentious, but I don't know. I don't mean it to sound pretentious. Uh, Therefore, like because the movie was just a, a a thing that didn't actually 
ever exist. We therefore never expected anything to come of the movie because all that mattered was this creative endeavor that he and I undertook. And then when the movie starts to breathe and have a life of its own, we of course stay with it and try to guide it into the world. But it's almost like what we set out to, to crack within ourselves, we did with the movie. And then the rest was just like, you know, the icing on top, I guess. I don't know. Now it sounds. Zen, Zen in the art of uh, filmmaking. I, I feel like you say, you guys have said you're lucky and, and that's been kind of a theme here, but like, I feel like in a way, the more I hear you talk about it, it's the luck is in having this creative dynamic, like in, in like how you guys work together or found this way to work together. That was this rewarding and you were able to mine. I've heard people talk about it in like writer's rooms. Like you start to work and mine your writers or your staff for like, who they are, what makes them tick, how they approach the world, like what they're grappling with. And that's where stories, great stories come from. Um, I just your ability to do that and your co-vulnerability, if that's a thing, is is impressive. That's, to- that's totally a thing. And that's exactly what it is. I think that, and, but, you know, I know this is a, this is a, a, a no film school podcast. So I, therefore, I, I do think that this is possible outside of film school. But one of the, you know, the things that did help us at AFI was was creating an environment and giving us the tools so that he and I could, you know, and to be honest, we, we may have, we may already have been like these kind of these two people that if we met outside of film school, we who knows what would have happened. Um, right. But at least like there, we were kind of we were forced into situations to like examine ourselves and open up and then therefore I, I therefore f- from the time we finished till today like I can call Max up and tell him anything uh about my life he can call me and tell me anything about his life we feel that kind of um I don't know that a, a, a creative security with each other yeah it's a, it's a trust that I think is just like very fundamental and just a shared kind of a shared worldview and and value system that is kind of fundamental in that in like a great collaboration it's super super lucky are you guys uh are you guys working on other like i assume are you working on other stuff what are you working on together do you have new projects are you just surviving in baby mode andy and max are you you know like pandemic like, where, where are you guys creatively? What have you been doing during this time? I mean, obviously the movie has been huge, but writing, you know, I'm curious. I always ask filmmakers now, like, what, how have you made use of this time? Obviously you guys had a major release during this time, but like, like otherwise. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I just started uh, another writer's room, um, like the week after the baby was born. So, uh, and, uh, and then I, I have a handful of projects, but, Max and I are, yeah, we're doing a movie together. Um, again, I don't know, I don't know what I'm like, I always get worried that I'm, I, I'm saying things that I'm not supposed to say. <laughs> uh, yeah, we, we have one, one movie that we're, we're doing together um, for sure. And then that's, you know, started on and then a couple others that we're kind of dabbling in. Um, yeah, Max. Yeah, no, there's, there's that and just it's it's been this process of kind of dabbling in projects and ideas and starting to develop stuff but like um i think just kind of recently have started to get back to actual 
I'm writing something, working on something with Andy and like I might be going to shoot something in March, but we'll see how the world is. It, um, I'm, I'm very much enjoying though, like now kind of coming back down to earth out of movie publicity mode and, um, just the summer and, and kind of doing the work that we, we fell in love with in the first place, you know, that's the thing I've learned, I guess, is that there's a lot of, a lot of energy, um, sometimes goes into like everything but the creative <laughs> yeah. in, uh, in, in LA, you know, you've been on the ro- on the roller coaster and, it, and I guess you only just kind of got a breather, right? This is yeah. like the first time to come up for air. And- yeah, I will, I will say with the movie too, with Palm Springs, it, we had a lot to say, right? And we spent a long time kind of developing something to say and, and doing yeah. personal inventory on ourselves. So I recently I realized just over the summer with everything that's going on and it's such a profound time, it's such a sad time, there's glimmers of hope within it. And it's also very scary as like, it's also about just keeping the antennae up and kind of listening and refueling a little bit and again taking personal inventory and kind of developing something to say or kind of rehabilitating yourself after a big project so you could pour yourself into whatever comes next yeah that's a that's a huge part of it and feel that you feel like depleted after pouring yourself into something so uh i think i think it's so important to let those reserves fill back up before like rushing into anything. Um, yeah. I'm always curious about this and I'll be really curious to stay in touch with you guys and hear more as you progress. But like you come into the first project, like you have, like you built up this thing and you were working out these personal demons or problems or confronting them together. And, and you poured, like you say, all of that into this, this piece of work and it, and it resonates with people and it's amazing. And then it's like, Okay, how do you do that all again? Like I've talked <laughs> with filmmakers a lot. Like you know, you'll see like a first-time filmmaker, or, or maybe not first time, maybe like one point five or whatever, and they'll make a feature, and and they'll, and then like then what's their story? It's that they're a filmmaker now who's made this feature that broke out that people saw. Like so, where does the new the new kind of probing questions come? And I'm I'm fascinated by that. And, you guys will have to come back and tell me when you. Yeah, know. yeah. Maybe we are both going to fail miserably, and we, <laughs> maybe we have nothing else to say. So we, we will see. Give it. Give that's it. Not a- what I, that's not what I'm implying. <laughs> I'm just saying- but it also it also goes back to just like finding a way to fall in love with the process again, either in the same way or a different way, because that's that's all it is, you know. When you when you start to get caught up in on whatever level or whatever kind of stuff you're making, kind of like the, the finished product, that's not at least for me personally, conducive to, to making work that's exciting at all. It's about the doing of it. And I think that's also what, I mean, that's what our process was on Palm Springs too, which is yeah. why it was so fulfilling. It was just always, like Andy said, no one gave a shit. So it was about us just figuring out how to do it in a way that felt exciting to us. Yeah, the whole the, the most rewarding times of the past five years on this movie uh, while yes, watch, watching the movie at Sundance was a cool emotional experience. The most rewarding times I think were like first when it was just <laughs> when Max and I were blasting the playlist and like kind of punching up the script. Uh, when it was again just us two or us talking in a room together, or then when we joined forces with Andy and Keeve and Becky 
like being in it, like where our room just got a little bigger and then being in a room with them and talking about the story. Uh, th- those to, those to me are like, that's what I want to just replicate again with future projects. And then, you know, hopefully you have a movie that comes out, but like, and, and people, people dig, but, uh, but it's not like I'm, I'm not, I'm not turning the movie on every day to watch it again. Cause I don't, I don't get, I get, I get absolutely nothing from it. <laughs> but I, I love that you're saying that you guys are saying that I want to highlight it because I hope people like really grasp that. Cause it's such a cool message. Like the best part was not the finished product. Like, having had the finished product and the success, like you guys are sitting here saying today, like, no, the best part was when we were coming up with it, when we broke mm-hmm. the story, when we wrote it together, yeah. when we, when we made the movie with the people we were lucky enough to make it with, like, that's so inspiring that it's about that, that you can say from the other end of the tunnel, like, no, no, that stuff's the best. Like, I mean, let me say it, it is cool that people like the movie. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you ruin it. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's the answer the best part. <laughs> it, it 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 allows for and it you know just because the movie did what it did, it it allows for us to be able to make more shit together. Uh, yeah, and, and it val- it validates the process, which is always good. Yeah, you know yeah. that's that's amazing. Yeah. Well, I've kept you guys a while. I really appreciate that you did this and uh, I'm excited to see what, what you do next, as is everyone. And uh, you're welcome back on the No Film School podcast anytime. <laughs> awesome. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening. Uh, thank you to Andy and Max for being on the podcast. You can, of course, check us out on nofilmschool.com. We have stories about Palm Springs. We have stories about all kinds of other exciting things. Please follow the podcast, subscribe to the podcast, like it, rate it. Let us know what you think. Email us any questions at ask at nofilmschool.com or editor at nofilmschool.com. And like our Facebook page and follow us on Twitter. Um, I just want to add to this, you know, I have my own experiences as a writer in the industry. And I had a lot of things at various times that almost went. And I had envisioned things like what Andy and Max described. I had seen in my mind, uh, what would it be like to premiere at a Sundance? Or what would it be like to be sitting in the audience and finally see your movie make it? And those things have not happened for me yet. Um, And I don't know if they will, you know, I don't know what the future holds, but I imagine that in our audience, there are a lot of people who've also had those ideas. Uh, And I think what's so cool about no film school in our community is that we had the opportunity to hear from guys who, who lived it. Like it happened. The crazy thing of sitting in the theater at Sundance and seeing your movie start and having an audience enjoy it. But there was something they said that really stuck with me, which was that once they were done, they were done. It was out in the world. And I think that's a powerful message or lesson to take with us that we can't control the outcome of the work we do. We do the work the best we can. Um, but from there, it's, we're, it's, it's out of our hands. And, um, We talk to so many filmmakers at different levels on this podcast and at No Film School in general. Um, But I I don't think I've personally ever had the experience of talking to a couple guys who were really like, you know, just coming out of of left field with the script. And um, again, um, 
a few others come to mind. We have we have spoken to some, but they didn't meet the usual like they they kept the barriers kept falling down in front of them. And I think that's just uh, they lived the dream, like I said. And I, and I think that's a cool thing to hear about because it is possible. And I can often be a Debbie Downer where I will say, like, don't count on those things happening. But hey, you know what? They can happen. So good luck out there. And thanks for listening.